last day of February, the 28th in the year of our Lord, 2022. You're listening to Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be beginning the season of Lent. Uh, Yesterday was, of course, the Transfiguration, at which time we spoke of the last Sunday in the Epiphany. Now, we had a bit of fun with the Transfiguration. You know that many in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, each Sunday there are four readings. There's a psalm, an Old Testament reading, an epistle, and a gospel. And and therefore, if you preached on each of those readings, it would take you 12 years to do all four of them since it's a three-year system. However, there are some occasions like Christmas, Easter, and also transfiguration that occur every year. So a pastor needs to find something to say about it that wasn't found in the previous years. And what did I say about the transfiguration that I had not preached on before? I mean, there's so much to preach on the transfiguration about how bright Jesus became in the face and in his clothes, and the disciples also saw Moses and Elijah. Remember, Peter said, let's make three worship tents for each one, not knowing what he was saying, because Elijah and Moses, you don't worship them. And so Luke put in there in parenthesis, but he did not know what he was saying. And then you had the father speaking from the cloud. This is my chosen son. Listen to him. So what else can you say about the transfiguration? I always like to find something that perhaps the congregation was unaware of. And I usually deal with that with a question. Uh, When I was a kid with my two brothers, a lot of times we would have a little Bible study after the dinner. My dad would read a Bible story, and then he would ask us questions. And we were allowed to leave the table once we could answer the questions. So we were listening uh, to the Bible study quite a bit. Like on the Transfiguration, he might read that and then say, who were the two men from the Old Testament that the disciples saw? And that was, of course, Moses and Elijah. I like to ask questions where the answer seems obvious, but it is not obvious. And the question I I used uh, yesterday was, Who on that mountain was in glory? And so in one of the four congregations I was preaching at, a lady put her hand up and she said, Jesus. And I said, that's the answer I wanted because it's wrong. It's wrong. Well, Jesus was in glory. He was shining. His face was altered. His clothes were so brilliantly white that no launderer could have cleaned them that well. But then I made the point that if you look closely at the text, 
it wasn't just Jesus in glory. It was also Moses and Elijah. A lot of people forget that. In fact, remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai, he came down and had to wear a veil. Why did he wear the veil? Well, according to the Bible, his face was shining because he had been before God. But then that brilliance began to fade away. And so in order not to lose the hearing of the people, Moses put on a veil to hide the fading away of that glory. Well, of course, it didn't really matter because he was God's prophet and the people needed to listen to him. But there's an example where he himself was in glory. And that's the kind of glory that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. There's a glory of the sun, and then there's a glory of the moon. Now, the glory of the sun is in and of itself. It is bright. One does not have to put a light on the sun to see it, but it's obvious. Whereas when you look at the moon, it has no light of its own. You, what you're looking at is reflected glory from the sun. And so the point of the sermon was that Adam and Eve had that glory in the Garden of Eden because when they sinned, they lost that glory, that degree of glory, and they realized they were naked. So we also, when we get going to heaven, guess what? We will have again the glory restored to us. In fact, the Bible talks about degrees of glory. We're not really sure what degree a person has and on what basis, but you won't be envious of people who have more degree of glory. For example, you don't hear either, well, Adam or Eve looking at the other and saying, how come you have a higher degree of glory than I have? No, in the Garden of Eden, there was no sin. And that is the way it will be in heaven. But we will come to understand even more than we do now. So it's important that people not only know what the Bible says, but they listen to the words to understand what God is getting to. Remember, Moses and Elijah did not have to be introduced to the three disciples. They just knew it was Moses and Elijah. So that's a Bible verse one could use to say when we're in heaven, we will recognize others. So there's two things you need to understand when you're reading the Bible. Number one, what it actually says. But number two, what God means by what it actually says. And, and that's why it's very important to have a pastor who kind of knows the Hebrew and the Greek and some of the Aramaic in order to explain to you the true meaning of Scripture. So also, when we're dealing with the first Sunday in Lent, one of the readings is from Luke 4, 
and it's about the temptations of Jesus. So you need to say more than, well, Jesus was tempted three times, and he didn't listen to the temptation and defeated the devil. Well, there's much more to it. How did he not listen to the temptations, for example? It's of some interest that each time the devil tempts him, Jesus responds with a word from Scripture, and he is quoting all three times from the book of Deuteronomy. For example, the devil says to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread, because Jesus had been led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days after his baptism by John the baptizer, being tempted by the devil. And it says in Luke 4 that he ate nothing during those days. So when they were ended, he was hungry. Well, if the devil could get Jesus to obey him, then you and I would be lost forever because Jesus would have fallen into the temptation of the devil. So instead, he says, no, man shall not live by bread alone. Then the second temptation, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Now we do know that the world at this time is the abode of Satan. It's the kingdom of Satan. And that's why it's so important that Jesus came, died on the cross, paid for our sins, and we are justified by God through grace not by our works, not by our merit. We inherit heaven. We don't merit it. And what did Jesus say to that particular temptation? Because then he would have had the authority over all the land. He quoted again Deuteronomy, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. In other words, Jesus is not of a mindset at all to serve the devil. He is not going to listen to the temptations of the devil. And he overcomes them with the word of God. There isn't a temptation that is in your life that doesn't have a Bible verse you can use to protect yourself from such temptation. But of course, that means you need to believe the word of God. That's what faith is in believing the promises connected to the death, the resurrection, and of course, the ascension of Jesus into heaven. So the last temptation that's recorded in verse nine of Luke four the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple 
and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, when the devil tempts you, he also will use the scripture, but he misuses the scripture because he says to Jesus, he, that's God the Father, will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So there is a Bible verse that the devil is quoting to again give Jesus the impression that he can go up on the temple, throw himself down, he won't be hurt, and the people will believe that he is the Messiah. Talk about a shortcut rather than going through the crucifixion so one can understand how tempting that might have been. But Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's very, very important because he defeats the devil again with a Bible verse from Deuteronomy because Jesus is faithful, not to the devil, but to his father. Now, most people know about the three temptations. So what are we going to do with that? Well, one needs to understand that Jesus read the Old Testament quite a bit. He knew from the Old Testament about his crucifixion, about the sufferings that he would endure as he went the way of the cross, uh, the whippings and the pulling out of his beard, many, many things that were torturous, but he was willing to do that for your sake. So what are we going to deal with here that may be kind of new? Well, if you take a look at the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, you will find out that the serpent in chapter 3 of Genesis is said to be more crafty than any other beast of the field. That means he had some smarts about him. And so he went to and spoke to Eve. Did actually God say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, as soon as the devil asks us a question about the worst thing you can do is try to answer the devil, which Eve does. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, What's interesting with Eve's response is she makes two mistakes. Nowhere did it say that they could not touch the fruit. She adds that in. And then she says, lest you die, perhaps you might die. But that's not what God had said. You will definitely die. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute, she didn't die, or Adam didn't die when they eat, ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They continue to live. 
But remember, they lost their glory. They saw they were naked. They hid from God in a bush as though you can go anywhere to hide from God. Ridiculous. But that's because they listened to the serpent who said in verse 3, 4, the serpent said, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Once more, Scripture is misused by the Satan. Because when he says you will not surely die, he's talking about an earthly death. Yes, that's true. But they died spiritually. They were separated from God. And in fact, they ended up being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So they listened to the devil who plied them with this temptation. Now, what was the reason that Eve went ahead and ate? It's very important. It's in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband. Now, the next phrase is really important. Who was with her? And he also ate. Then the eyes of both were open. They knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord in the garden, what did they do? They tried to hide themselves from his presence among the trees of the garden, which was, of course, impossible. But I want to get back to the three reasons that Eve decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The three reasons are a parallel to the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Did you notice that? So the first one, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, you know, you go, don't go buy a peach tree or a cherry tree. I, I used to pick peaches. And you could tell which were the good peaches and which were the bad just by looking. And boy, did they ever taste good when they were plucked from a tree and washed. The fact of the matter is Jesus was very hungry after 40 days in the wilderness. And why 40 days? Well, it kind of is a parallel to the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. Jesus also was kind of going through what not only Israel did, but also the sin of Adam and Eve. And so we ought not be surprised that the first temptation was to eat food that God had indicated he should not eat. 
for 40 days. That's the first temptation that Eve saw, that the tree was good for food. Then it was a delight to the eyes. So looking at it, it looked good. What temptation would have been a delight to the eyes of Israel? Well, it was thought at that time that the Messiah would appear on the pinnacle of the temple, and therefore, that's who the Messiah would be. Now, normally that would occur on a specific day, so some people try and date when the temptation of Jesus occurred by the devil on the Day of Atonement. But the fact of the matter is we're not sure about that. But it was still a delight to the eyes if the people saw a man standing at the top of the temple on the pinnacle and jumped down and was not hurt. This would indeed be evidence that he was the Messiah. So again, a temptation from the devil that Jesus would become a delight to the eyes, as was the fruit for Eve and Adam, and therefore it's a parallel of the temptation that they endured. But Jesus overcame that temptation by speaking a word from Deuteronomy and not falling into a temptation where he would be a delight to the eyes. And then the last temptation for Eve was it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. How many of us think that leaders in the country are wise? In fact, a lot of times it took wisdom for them to be elected. And we say, well, that was a pretty wise person. He got elected by what he was telling us. Now, whether or not he follows it, that's something else. Well, one would certainly be wise in the eyes of others if the devil had given him all the kingdoms of the world in order that Jesus would therefore have what was given to the devil. But the fact of the matter is, for Jesus to do that would have meant that he would have had to obey the devil. And that was the temptation. And Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord God to your test. So that's what I would do in a sermon I would show that Jesus, yes, he's the Savior, but he's the Savior in more detail than you first expect. It's not that he just was tempted by the devil, and it says he was tempted, well, you can add up, three times. But over 40 days, he probably had more temptations than that. And even though the end of this text says, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So he continued to tempt Jesus throughout his ministry. 
Sometimes he would tempt him through the words of the disciples. Like when Peter says, no, you're not going to Jerusalem to be killed. We'll protect you. Jesus could have listened to that, but he instead, instead said, get thee behind me, Satan, referring to his friend Peter. And then, of course, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was being arrested, remember Peter again took out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. What did Jesus do? Put up your sword. It is necessary that what is about to happen happens. And Jesus healed the ear of Malchus. In other words, he healed it by putting it back on, and there was nothing wrong with it. One would think, wow, Jesus must be God. But they didn't believe that until after the resurrection. So that's what we do with the temptations of Jesus, tying it in to Adam and Eve. And therefore, it's very important that we take a look at these. So hopefully, you'll be having some information about these temptations this Sunday. Although there are other readings beside Luke 4, there's one from Deuteronomy 26 and another from Romans 10. And so it could be your pastor is going to be preaching on that. But we pray that you will be hearing a wonderful message from a law and gospel point of view, how Jesus overcame the temptations of Satan for one reason, and that was to bring you back into the Garden of Eden in a glorious state that Adam and Eve had lost when they had sinned. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. Tomorrow with Mark Smith, we'll be taking a look at a hymn for this first Sunday in Lent. And if you have an opportunity, perhaps your church is having midweek Lenten services this Wednesday will be Ash Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.